Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, C-S-Y-S-K. It's true. That is correct, yes. Yeah. I don't think we've ever introduced it that way. Wow. I, I always C-S-Y-S-K. We're, I know. We, yeah. <laughs> We're an acronym, boys. We are, we are an, acronym. an acronym. We've made it. Anyway, we are a podcast that is about the classical world, which means old books, art, architecture, and theology and philosophy and stuff. And we, our goal is to make that stuff palatable to a modern audience and tell you all the things you should have been told in school, mm. but weren't. And so I'm here with two of my bros, one Graham Donaldson. Hi. And one Thomas Fletcher Magby. Hello. And we three all work at a classical school in Austin, Texas named sure. Veritas Academy. And we like it. And that's our story. That's right. Yep. So come and take it. Wait, well, no, please don't take it. <laughs> so today the question is, are you out of work? Are you looking for a new job? Hmm. Well, then call Templar. Uh, we aggressively seek employment in a, all stretches of the world. Is this a temp agency? Yeah, it's a temp agency. <laughs> Templar. Templar agency. And uh, so we, we, we do require there's a strict dress code, um, mm-hmm. but uh, you'll be fitted with, you know, you'll be well protected in your job. <laughs> Great. Um, so... Templar. And dudes only, sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry. Just guys. <laughs> um, yes, today awesome. we are... Yeah, no, that was... Yeah, thank you, AJ. Yeah, um, yeah. You know what one of my favorite episodes of all time on classical stuff was? What? Was the one you did on Michelangelo, the painting. Mm, yeah. I feel like we got to do more painting episodes. Yeah, so that I'm, was a I'm really super into one. it. I'm going to yeah. work on it after my 10 episodes of Plato. <laughs> Just awesome. kidding. I'll probably step away. I'm, I'm about Plato'd out. So, guys, we are going to be talking about the Knights Templar today, and we're going to get through their founding, their reasons for existing, and then just sort of talk a little bit about the the Middle Eastern world, as it was known, the Levant um, region uh, during the Crusades, and um, also just talk a little bit about, like, how Christians should think about, I don't know how we should think about it, but how I think about the Crusades today or how we sort wow. of okay. deal with this. It's going to be a big topic. It's okay. a rough, because it's a rough period. It is, yeah. Are we going to talk about the Illuminati or not? Um, is Kanye a Templar? Uh, Kanye's not a Templar. So oh. yes, so the Templars are great in that um, they were uh, horrendously, horrendously crushed and everybody was murdered on the same day um, by the French state in 13 something yowzers but it was on friday the 13th Whoa, which right. is where we is that get why we think mm-hmm. it's yeah. it is why we get yeah. it there's a couple of things well 13th disciple was judas or if the 12 disciples and jesus so if you have 13 the last dude was judas hmm. so there's one that's one reason why 13 is unlucky but the big but reason judas have also been like seven he could have been seven um <laughs> but um, why do we think he's 13th we don't yeah. know that for sure um if it, if you did alphabetical like Sorry, Zacchaeus. Oh, he was a disciple. But, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, but yes, Weezer Friday the thirteenth oh, um, in uh, is the day that all the Templars were rounded up and were put on trial, and all their stuff was taken. And so that's where we get the Friday the thirteenth superstition from. Shouldn't this be at the end of the episode? I know. I'm just I, I'm just telling you this. <laughs> Spoiler. Um, but and then, but the, the, you said the Illuminati. So the reason why the Templars are now today seen as like this shadowy organization is because, is because they, they were are. all. Yeah. Well, that. No. Uh, no, because they were all rounded up and then pretty much stamped out. And so we just assumed that something as powerful as they were couldn't be stamped out so decisively. They must still be around that's seeking like really, after revenge. That's a bad reason. Is a bad reason. There's like one reason. guy who didn't get stamped out and he's... Well, the head of the Templars on, also did. His last words were like, God will avenge us for your murder, for our murder. Or yeah. God will... Have, yeah. He basically said something like, we're going to get you. And then they let him on fire. Hmm. Um, like that guy in was it Ghostbuster 2 Vigo Mortensen 
Right. right, death is but a door. I'll look up the quote. Yeah, exactly. Sounds same. important. But anyway, so let's talk a little bit about the world of the Levant. Well, can I? Um, oh, yeah, our, our source text for today is. Oh the, yeah, is I, the I'm da taking Vinci this code, from right? yes, the Da Vinci yeah, Code you. is good. our source yeah. text. Thank you. Good. Um, I got a bunch. Yeah, I um, used a bunch of different sources. The main one is the wonderful book called The Templars by Dan Jones, uh, the same author who wrote on the Plantagenets and also the War of the Roses, where I've gotten a lot of the sort of just the basic historical story of a lot of the Plantagenets series. They're really good books, but um, I've also uh, sort of compiled this with other stuff together. Cool. Um, but uh, so, okay. Um, in the Middle East or the Levant region um, during the, you know, 11th century, so the year 1000 and whatnot, um, it was ruled by a kind of like a confederation of, of Islamic states. Um, and they were sometimes at war with each other, sometimes peaceful. Um, but around the year 1100, um, they, uh, the Muslim world was pretty, was pretty fractured. Uh, and it kind of split into two camps. And actually, it's the two camps that we, we still have today. We've got Sunnis and Shiites. Mm-hmm. I can never keep them straight. I'm not, an, I'm not a scholar of Islamic history. I don't know enough about it. Uh, it's an area that I find very interesting, but I, I don't know enough to speak intelligently about it. But um, we've got sort of two main dynasties or regions, uh, and they were um, kind of at war with each other, which meant that they were both pretty weak in mm-hmm. the 1100s. So we have um, the, the, the Seljuks or Sel, Seljuks, Seljuks. Um, they were in Turkey. Um, they were uh, Turks and Persians mainly, and um, but they were ultimately loyal to the um, um, Abbasid Caliph in Baghdad. And the Abbasid Caliph in Baghdad, they were they were Sunni, I think. Mm. I'm pretty sure. So they were the they were the, the the Sunni branch of Islam. And then you have the Fatimid Caliphate in Egypt, and uh, they were called the Fatimid Caliphate because they claimed to be. Uh, descended from Fatima, which was the daughter of Muhammad, mm-hmm. um, and they were Shiites in Egypt. Anyway, so you've got the Fatima Caliphate, and you've got the Seljuk, Seljuks, um, and the um, the Seljuks were the ones who uh, attacked the Eastern Orthodox Church, oh. uh, the and and sort of the Byzantine Kingdom. And took over a bunch of um, cities in the Middle East that spawned and started the First Crusade. Oh, okay. So they um, um, wait. So who attacked who? Um, the Seljuks attacked the Eastern Orthodox and and sort of. Um, but not so, the folks in Egypt. No, no, no. But they had been sort of at war. They had been sort of going back and forth and and um, uh, always, you know, having wars in Syria and having wars in what we now call Jordan and having wars in what so we these now two call Israel. The Seljuks and the uh, what was the other one? Uh, the Fatimid Caliphate. Fatimid Caliphate. Yeah. Oh, they've been having wars back and forth, yeah. and then eventually the Seljuks attack the Eastern. Orthodox yeah. So they, they would be they would have they would have wars. They would have peace. They would say, all right, we're going to you know stop for ten years mm-hmm. and and. And um, and then every now and then, you, in in these stories of um, of uh, these caliphates, you've got a leader who comes up and he can kind of like bridge the gaps between all these fractured groups, and then he'll die and he'll split the empire into his four sons, and then his four sons are just you know terrible and it doesn't really work. Right. But anyway, so um, the Seljuks um, uh, had a, uh, attacked. Um, 
we're in Turkey and we're sort of moving into Greece and then Constantinople was the head of the Byzantine church. And so there was, there was some wars there. And, at, and so then the first crusade was called and the first crusade was pretty wildly successful oh. um, in terms of now, the reason why it was wildly successful was because the whole region was weakened by the attacks by, by, by these two caliphates um, um, being against each other, the Sunnis and the Shiites, um, um, the Seljuks and the Fatimid Caliphate. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing Seljuk wrong. Just so to say that it's successful means. OK, they, they so the, to mean to say it was successful means that they um, they they got Jerusalem. Yeah, sure. they, they got Jerusalem on July 15th, 1099. Okay. So on July 15th, 1099, the First Crusade conquered Jerusalem um, and conquered a bunch of other cities like Jerusalem, Antioch, Tripoli, um, Acre, um, Beirut, Sidon, all these sort of famous port cities. Mm-hmm. Um, in the First Crusade, they were now in Christian hands. Mm-hmm. Actually, before we kind of go into this, I want to—I just want to give one little caveat about talking about this period of history. I never really learned any of the Middle Ages growing up. When I did history in Canadian public school, it was Rome ended, and then it was the dark time, right. and then the Enlightenment came, and now we've got democracy. Right. Like, that was kind of how history was presented to me. Sure. So I never really learned anything about the Middle Ages, and I, as a as a Protestant, I sort of had probably internalized. Um, things like um, dark ages are bad. Dark ages were a, a period of superstition where yep. Christian faith kind of went underground, and sure. uh, and well, the, Christian faith sort of ruled everything, but not in a healthy not way. not in a healthy way. And it was all allied with power, mm-hmm. and nobody learned anything, and all the real knowledge was stuck behind Latin. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and the, and the thing that I was always nervous was that if I started studying the Crusades, I was going to find an ugliness that was disturbing. Yep. And I found, an, and in studying it, I found an ugliness that was disturbing, but not the one that I was expecting. When I, what I was expecting when I was starting to look into the Crusades was, uh, I knew it was going to be bloody, because it was. Right. But I had always assumed that it was um, um, a really... Uh, uh, that it was more religiously charged than I think it actually ended up, and then it actually huh. was in history. Interesting. Um, thinking that, like, maybe maybe it was just the way that I, it had been built up to me or had been talked about was that um, th- these were battles of competing religious ideologies, um, and uh, and it's a black eye for the church. I think it is a black eye for the church, but I, in reading it, I realized it was far more about the same things that every other war is about, money and power, and, and um, um, then uh, a battle of sort of religious ideology. There is definitely men on both sides who fought with, this, with this sort of religious, religious ideology, sure. but, um, but not the most. Crusades are more, of a, um, are more of a just litany of absolute incompetence on on mainly the christian side like the christian uh the christian leaders in in the middle east um during this time were very had a very tenuous grasp on any any position of power the only reason they could remain in power was because the vastly um superior muslim force would fight each other and leave sort of Christendom alone and Christianity could kind of like carve yeah. out a niche. But then any time the Islamic world got its act together and we're like, ah, let's, you know, get rid of, of the church or the Christians in the Middle East, like they they threw down. Which is, the, is that the story of the second crusade? Yeah. And okay. then it's the story of Saladin, which we'll get to, not today. Yeah. Um, but 
so I guess I was expecting more of this like clash of equals, but in reality, it's kind of um, the, the Christians in the middle in in, in the, the Crusader states were totally outnumbered, incredibly incompetent. A lot of a lot of it was pretty um, corrupt, hmm. and um, they didn't hold on because of their like adherence to their faith, but they held on basically because of of um, they weren't important enough. They to weren't be important enough to be to be attacked until they until they got <laughs> important enough to be attacked, <laughs> right? So, reason, uh, yeah, that wasn't what I was expecting going into it, and then realizing that it was like, oh, not that the Crusades aren't a big deal, but they aren't. They weren't sort of the the, the big bad black guy that I thought it was. It's um, it's more of like just sort of um, well, they're they're bad because um, of the of the deaths, right? They're bad, be, yeah. bad because of death, and bad because I think um, taking up the sword in the name of of Christ is a pretty troublesome and problematic thing. Sure. And there was lots of people who were against the the, the Templars for that very really? reason. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. They they were not completely welcomed by all aspects of of Christianity, and there was theologians and scholars and monks and monastics and priests all throughout the sort of 200 years that the Templars existed saying like, why do we have these guys? Right. Why do we have, why does the church, uh, why does um, the God who dies for the sins of the world need dudes with swords? You know, like they sort of, there was that dissension. But anyway, I just wanted to sort of put that caveat out there that, um, and maybe it's just a testament to like not believing or just needing to go study things for yourself um, because the Crusades to me is still troubling and a black eye for the church, but it wasn't nearly as this um, big as I guess I thought it was. Okay. I'll be curious to, I mean, I'm interested in this episode now. Like, It's, it's more just like um, a document, yeah, a litany of terrible military decisions based on bravado. It's kind of like you, you, gave, uh, you gave a state to... Um, a bunch of like really spirited people that had no other grounding and like destroyed everything. I don't know. I think if you are looking for better examples of 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 leadership and it was also you know more interesting stories of the Middle Ages, like the English kings and the French kings are just sort of more interesting. Anyway, whatever. Um, so Jerusalem was was uh, uh, taken over in 1099, um, and um, uh, the uh, it was a very terrible and bloody affair. Um, the Crusaders uh, um, ransacked the city, as often happens when cities got taken over. There are horrible stories of people who lived in the city swallowing their gold coins because they didn't want to be. Um, they didn't want the Crusaders to get their gold. And the, when the Crusaders realized this, were cutting open the bodies and, and disemboweling people for their gold coins, and just horrible, yep. terrible things. Yep. Um, but Jerusalem was taken in 1099, and then we had an increase in pilgrimage because people want to come. And they're like, oh, you know, Jerusalem is now a, a safer space for Western Christendom. Uh, everyone's going to come. Let's see the let's see where Jesus died. Let's see the tomb. So the first, first crusade, did we talk about why that was motivated or was it just, it was the, just a... It was motivated because the, Sel, the Seljuks had attacked um, and taken over some other churches in, That's right. in, in the Christian East. And everyone was just sort of like, whoa, right. this is happening now. And so it, it, it kind of was this... Um, bit reactionary. Bit reactionary. Um, the Christian West had sort of coalesced into... 
a pretty peaceful time. Uh, you, you know, Charlemagne was 200 years after Charlemagne or so. So you had this um, you had this Christian West that didn't have these big um, um, wars against each other. So I guess they were looking for something to do, and <laughs> and and then you had very pious. You gotta fight somebody. You had a very pious, and you had a very um, um, motivated Pope, Pope Urban the second, the third. Who called the first crusade? Anyway, Pope Urban. Was he the one? He did have a really good fashion sense. Let's keep Urban. <laughs> Shop that uh, <laughs> Urban Outfitters. Urban Outfitters. Yeah, outfitters, yeah. Yes, yeah yes, he yes. outfitted. That's his actually guys. where it started. Hey. Was he had a he had a little outfitting outpost? Yeah, exactly. Outfitting mm-hmm. his army. Pope Urban Outfitters. Oh yeah. my word. Um, so anyway, he wanted to go. So a bunch of people wanted to go on the crusade around the, on on pilgrimage, and um, so after the first crusade, just for, for some terms, four new states were created. You had the Kingdom of Jerusalem. You had uh, the county or the, uh, of Edessa, you had the, uh, the county of Tripoli, and then you had the principality of Antioch. So you basically have these four states, and they are what are known as the Crusader states. Um, big cities in these states are Jerusalem, um, Acre, Beirut, Tripoli, Sidon. These are some of the big cities that um, uh, uh, were the, the big, a lot of the castles. These were a lot of these wars happen. And um, so a bunch of pilgrims are going to the are going to the Levant. They're going to Jerusalem. They want to see all the sights, but it's still really dangerous on the roads. It's really dangerous to get there. Um, and um, just because these cities were taken, uh, they are surrounded by caliphates, surrounded by uh, the the Muslim world. Um, and so uh, um, there was, you know, uh, pilgrims would be. Uh, accosted and robbed and slaughtered and all sorts of things. Anyway, there was two big, um, terrible things that happened on on, on Easter, and um, there was uh, a big slaughter of about seven hundred pilgrims after the miracle of the oil lamp. Do you guys are you aware of the oil lamp in Christ's tomb? No. So this is apparently a miraculous thing that every Easter. Uh, the moment that Christ uh, is uh, on, on Easter Saturday, when Christ was supposed to have risen, or when Christ, sorry, when Christ did rise, what is supposed to happen is that there is this oil lamp that sits next to the tomb that is off or that isn't burning, and then it turns and then it lights itself uh, on the the hour that Christ was raised from the dead hmm. as a remembrance. The little pi- pious oil huh. lamp. Wow. Uh, apparently, this still happens today. I don't know. For reals? Yeah, for reals. That's awesome. Wow. Um, I wonder. So I. I know God has a sense of humor mm-hmm. or else we wouldn't have senses of humor. And sometimes I wonder if any of these are just God trolling us and thinking it's hilarious. <laughs> just having the little, just have a little fun, like little boop, lamp. oil lamp. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. And maybe, okay. um, I, I don't <laughs> know. That, Does that, it make us feel more pious? I, it just seems kind of fun. The little miracle that the little oil yeah, like, lamps, just like a little miracle, like just a reminder that Christ raised was risen here. Yeah, maybe. That's I don't kind know. Of fun. I don't know. It I is. also do it think is. it's a kind of an adorable miracle. Right. The, the, the That's the what lamp. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not. It's you know, it's not like it's not helping large groups of people. No, it might help just, us be like, it's just have a little more faith. It's just kind of like mm-hmm. kind of cute. But anyway, so when this happened, um, the pilgrims that were there sort of left left the scene in in sort of you know exaltation. They had spent all this time fasting for Easter, and as they were on the road, seven hundred of them were rounded up by uh, brigands on horseback and were slaughtered. Um, uh, by a dude named Il Ghazi, uh, he was sort of this like drunken warlord kind of guy. Um, I heard his debut album. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so um, so there was that thing that happened, uh, and then also there was Il Ghazi besieged a town, 
and the town didn't have um, uh, any sort of defenders in there. And there was a priest. I think he was even a bishop. And he was like, you know what, guys? We're going to defend this town. And he got, he put on armor and he got a sword and he led his troops to defend the town, which doesn't seem like that big of a deal, except this was something bishops weren't supposed to do. Bishops weren't supposed to throw down. Bishops weren't supposed, they were supposed to be men of peace. They were not supposed to be men of war. They definitely were, were not supposed to be leading men and killing other men. But he did it anyway and was very successful and saved the town. And people started saying like, hey, we, uh, we've got all these problems of violence in our newly conquered region. Maybe, hear me out, maybe we should allow holy men to take up arms again and kill people. That seems crazy, right? Yeah. Okay. So, but this bishop kind of like, by protecting, the, by saving this town, kind of set a precedent. And then if you wanted to divide the Christian world into hawks and doves, maybe we could right now. So the hawks were like, mm-hmm. hey, we've got a new paradigm developing here. Shouldn't we have men of violence who are also holy men in order to defend the faith? And then the doves would be like, no, we should not because we've been called to love your enemies. And, um, and the, you know, these Christian virtues, we should trust in God. We should entrust in the, in the arms of men. And then the hawks would say, yes, but did not God create these arms of men? And, yeah, and would he not, you know, so the, the, you had this sort of internal disagreement right. over um, sanctioned violence in Christendom. Can I say, so that does make me feel better that, the, again, that the, it wasn't just uh, approved of immediately that this is a great idea. There was no criticism of mm-hmm. this idea. So that's good that there was controversy around the idea. Oh, definitely. I guess it's a bummer that eventually it still happens mm-hmm. but so it's then, also encouraging that it spawned from a guy wanting to protect his town right. from being slaughtered right. uh, that's that's encouraging although reason. granted he probably shouldn't have but yeah um it was it, it was probably one of those little flashpoint moments that gave color to a debate that had been going on because we are ne- like politically the church is now in a realm where violence is going to be an, an, a, a more common occurrence mm-hmm. And how do we deal with that in the in our sort of religious paradigm um, that is that has um, a lot more calls to nonviolence than perhaps other paradigms, religious paradigms? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, anyway, so um, a real practical. So with all of these pilgrims that are being killed, um, a lot of knights. Uh, sort of noblemen who lived in the region decided to um, uh, create a bodyguard agency. And so they decided that they were going to um, be the bodyguards for these pilgrims. So when pilgrims went to these sites, they would go armed with the pilgrims to make sure that the pilgrims were not, um, uh, uh, you know, molested in any way. And um, that, and so they sort of uh, would wander around and, and, um, they were given donations, and, and uh, uh, I don't think they were paid because they did this out of their own oh, their own volition. But they started receiving donations, and these guys decided, hey, you know what? Like this is a really great um, thing that we're doing, and they began to think we should have a religious order around protecting pilgrims. Mm. Now, there had been a religious order that had started in the Middle East, uh, in the Levant, in Jerusalem, um, a number of years before. Uh, and they were a religious order that created what were called uh, that created hospitals. Oh, so they yeah. created hospitals to care for the sick, to care for lepers, and to care for those who, in the Crusades, were wounded. And these men um, were known as the Hospitallers, or the Order of Saint 
uh, what is it? So the Hospital of St. John of Jerusalem. Or, or the, the Order of... Anyway, they were in Jerusalem. They were the, the Hospitallers, the Order of St. John. So their job was basically like military um, um, field, field wounds, essentially. Yeah. Triage. Um, triage, yeah. And um, this, for what it's worth, this is saying that it is St. John of Jerusalem, the most venerable order of the Hospital of St. John of Jerusalem. Perfect. So that's the name of it. Yeah. And so they were established as an order. So this, what an order means is that you, the Pope gave you the thumbs up. You're allowed to do this. People took vows. Um, you, uh, uh, yeah, took holy vows, just like if you were Benedictine or Franciscan, you were a member of the order of the Hospitallers. And, and, um, and you had, yeah, you, you, you took vows and... Um, and uh, so this is um, there was there was a charter that you had to follow. There was rules that you had to follow. Yeah. Um, and uh, actually, the the, the St. John's uh, Hospitallers still exist today. That's cool. They from I think they started in 1080, and they have an unbroken line of membership to this day. They are now known as St. John's Ambulance. And so are they all over the world. They're all over are the they, world. Okay. They are volunteer, uh, basically volunteer ambulance, volunteer paramedics. Um, they're still headquartered in Jerusalem, which is fascinating. Um, and um, what's their training look like? Because if if I had two ambulances showed up and one was from the hospital and one was from the hospitalers, and they're yeah. like, "Hi, we're volunteers." I'd be like, "Yeah, ah, yeah." I actually realized that the St. John's ambulance is not a very big thing okay. in the U.S. There was St. John's ambulance when I was a kid growing up. I think it's something that, but like, it's a if you're in a small town, you don't have a big hospital. You mm-hmm. don't have a you don't have a a professional class of paramedics. You had these people that were huh. like, it's like volunteer firefighters in small towns. You sure. had vi- volunteer ambulance. Wow. Hmm. Um, but there was a anyway. So the order still exists today. Don't know much about it, but uh, it's kind of fun to think about. And so these Templars were like, okay, if if we have this service order of um, hospital, we should have a service order of protection for pilgrims. And they were living in Jerusalem, and their headquarters was in the Al-Aska Mosque on the Temple Mount. The Al-Aska Mosque uh, still exists today. It's now a mosque again. Uh, and it is right across the, the square from the Dome of the Rock, so that big gold dome. Right. Um, so they lived, so the Templars got their name because they were the brothers of the temple. They lived in the Alaska Mosque on the Temple Mount. This was their HQ. And so um, there was, um, they, they elected a leader. And he was a Frenchman, and his name was Hugh of Payon, um, P-A-Y-N-S, uh, you can call him Hugh of Pains if you want, which is kind of cool. I was just going to say Hugh of Pain. Sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. But Hugh of Pain, um, he came uh, to the Middle East, as many knights did, as many noblemen did, for pilgrimage, uh, and also because swords were needed. And uh, there were skirmishes and battles all the time. And he and his knights stayed, and they elected him as the head of this new order. But they didn't have a of charter. Bodyguards. Of, of bodyguards. Of yep. bodyguards. They yep. didn't have a charter. They didn't have a, they didn't have a rule of life. And they wanted one. Um, and so um, they, uh, Hugh of Payon's job was to kind of find somebody in the Christian world who could write a order for them for them to be able to, uh, uh, to have some sort of rule that, that, the, that the men could follow. Um, and um, so King Baldwin II, I think, he was the king of Jerusalem. Um, and uh, it's it's kind of funny to me that the kings of Jerusalem were like known as King Baldwin. Uh, king Baldwin the Fourth was the famous leper king. Um, but anyway, King Baldwin the uh, Second was like, all right, we got these we got these knights, and they live in the Temple Mount, 
and um, they're being bodyguards, and they're wanting to be a holy order. And they were, unlike the Hospitallers, the Hospitallers ended up becoming a military order as well. Hmm. But more than the Hospitallers, the Templars had this idea, this new idea of Christian warrior knight. Um, up till then, knights were seen as very secular things. Sure. Um, um, warriors who were either hired or by uh, um, vows to their lords took care of very worldly matters such as bloodshed and and you know policing and that kind of thing. But um, uh, there was a one man who was thinking of recasting knighthood to also emulate Christian virtues, and his name was Bernard of Clairvaux. Uh-huh. And so Bernard of Clairvaux um, was a Cistercian? 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 Well, I think so. Or um, Cistercian. Yeah, he was Found, and, primarily mm-hmm. responsible for founding the Cistercian. Yes. Yeah. And, and so the Cistercian order was of order of poverty, an order of work, uh, similar to the Benedictines, but uh, I think a little more intense than yeah. the Benedictines. Sure. Um, and he was well respected. He, the popes liked him. He had a golden tongue. Like his rebuke was scathing um, um, of of wealth and excess. He would have been a Twitter star. <laughs> Twitter star, Bernard of Clairvaux, for sure. Um, he uh, uh, was a true believer in poverty and service. He was. Um, and um, uh, Hugh of Payon went to him, and Baldwin wrote to him and said, hey, we've got these new guys. They want to create a holy order, a holy order of Christian warrior who was going to fight the enemies of Christendom. And Bernard of Clairvaux was like, I can write that charter for you. I can write that, that rule of life for you. And he does. Um, and um, so he, uh, uh, he writes the rule of life, and it was centered around uh, chastity. So you couldn't get married, couldn't have kids. Um, it was centered around obedience. You were obedient to the internal li- life of the order. And uh, poverty, that you were not to make any, to, you were not to have much money. This is ironic based on what happened to the Templars. Um, their symbol was, as we sort of, uh, uh, we know the Templars as wearing the red cross, but their actual symbol was just a simple black and white flag. And their crest was, um, to showcase the poverty was two dudes sharing a horse. Really? (laughs) Yeah. That's their symbol is two dudes sharing a horse because, um, they couldn't afford, uh, uh, two horses. What was on the black and white flag? Like the left side was white, the right side was black. Oh, so halved. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Or up and down. I can't remember. Up and um, down. Black. Is uh, it? It's up and down. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that is the that's the flag. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. And then um, and then the red cross uh, becomes uh, part of their symbol a little bit later on. Um, and then you've got the blue and white cross of the Hospitallers, the, the red and white cross of the um, Templars, and then later on a rival military order called the Teutonics um, get started, and they are Germans, and, and they're black and white. Did cross. they sing? It sounds yeah. like the Teutonics. Uh, yeah, yeah, Teutonics. yeah, 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 yeah. The uh, acapella group. The acapella group. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> doing great on YouTube. <laughs> Huge fan. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> by the well, way, I have been waiting for a good opportunity to make the was Bernard of what, what's his Clairvaux. name? Clairvaux. Was he Clairvoy? Clairvoyant. Uh, it's, um, I've been waiting for the joke. It just has. He couldn't have been Clairvoyant because he wanted the Templars to be uh, to have lives of poverty. But a Spanish yeah. king named Alfonso is going to wreck that. But we'll get there. 
Um, You're telling me a guy named Alfonso does not want to live in poverty. <laughs> Correct. The strangest thing. Copy that. So, um, so, the, so then the internal life of the order was uh, one of, yeah, it was a military order. It was a religious order. You took vows. You were there for life. You didn't get married. You didn't have sex. You didn't have children. Um, and anybody could join, um, nobleman or commoner. And so um, this was a very wildly successful thing. Um, commoners all joined. People that didn't have any other recourse in life uh, could join. Um, and you went and you fought and you uh, um, lived in various places. Uh, we'll talk about how it grew in a second, but we're still at, the, at the, um, the rule. And so the rule was one that was supposed to tame and temper the, the more... Um, um, showy and broy aspects of knighthood into what the broy aspects? The broy aspects, like they were kind of bros. Knights, no, no, knights no, no, no. Bros. I understood what the word Templar meant. But. To show and bro. No, no, not, <laughs> they, not to be bros. Okay. Um, okay, no, okay. The, the, so knighthood in the Middle Ages was <laughs> oh flashy clothes. I'm so cool. Huh. Uh, I can, you know, I uh, uh, I vow to a lady. Yes, yeah, I, I can throw down. I've got a fancy horse, and um, people. The, the hawks of the Christian world were worried that their warrior class was a little too licentious. And so they were wanting to create a warrior class that was no. um, focused on um, the life of asceticism and, and poverty and obedience and throwing down. Okay. I just think back to two podcasts ago, we were talking about the guardians and all this kind of stuff. It sounds like that's what Plato or yeah. Socrates through Plato wanted. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so it's a... Anyway. Anyway, they both still want the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's like, anyway, I'm wondering if there is actually anything distinctly Christian about this, right? I don't think it's a good thing. Okay. You think that, this is a, uh, no, no, I don't think it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. What you just said is that basically as soon as people were kind of okay with it, like five of these orders popped up immediately. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was something oh, like... Oh, not even more, way more than five. Sure, but, but, but that doesn't mean it's a good thing. No, no. What okay. I'm saying is something bubbled up uh, like that that desire was there. And then once the theology got around it, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. all these groups suddenly popped up mm-hmm. and it, I just don't understand why. Uh, there I understand are appealing why, aspects yeah, sure, sure. to an order, to a structured life. Right. Yes. But that, that structured life involves war. Is, but, but the thing is, yeah. And I was going to bring this up at the end of the podcast. Like also just talking about, um, yeah, we need to have, or the, the idea of, sanctioning violence is going to be at some level necessary for a state or for a group of people. Yes. Coupling that sanctioned violence with a religious life is weird, weird, really troublesome for us in the church. Yes. But then then it does raise a question, should it never happen or can it, or can it happen? Well, but we'll, we'll get there later. Okay. Um, anyway, um, so Bernard of Clairvaux writes the order and, um, and uh, Hugh of Payon goes to the West to recruit people to come help on this uh, a big campaign to take the town of Damascus or to take, take the, 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 the to besiege Damascus. Um, so, and when he does, it is insanely wildly successful. Uh, he recruits tens of thousands. He recruits like ten thousand knights. Wow! They want to join. Uh, they go, and I believe they successfully take the town of Damascus, and it's the first big victory for for the for the um, uh, for the Crusaders or for the uh, the Templars. Um, 
the well, so yeah, we're going to talk. Uh, um, yeah, we'll get to. We won't even get to the uh, the second crusade and why it starts. But that's sort of the crusade that that makes the Templars famous. Um, but there's another part to the story that is really important to tell about the founding of the Templars. So we have the order; anybody can join it, um, and that is there is this dude named King Alfonso. King Alfonso is in Spain. Um, King Alfonso lived a warrior's life. Um, so Spain in the Middle Ages was basically divided into north and south, the north being Christendom, the south being Islam. Um, I believe King Alfonso was the king of Leon and Castile, although he may have been the king of Aragon. I can't remember. Let's just say he was the king of Castile, which is right in the middle sure. of Spain. Great. Um, anyway, so he had spent his life um, fighting uh, 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 the Muslims in the south and trying to sort of push um, the Muslims off of the Iberian Peninsula into North Africa. Um, and he lobbied for years to the Pope saying like, hey, man, this is a crusade too. Like, it can't just be the Middle East. We're we're also fighting enemies of Christendom or whatever. Okay. And then eventually you're like, you're right. This is this is um, uh, that. And so then this whole big campaign of called the Reconquista happened in Spain. And the Reconquista was the reconquering of the Iberian Peninsula, pushing the Muslims into Africa. And this was something that went on from... 1100 all the way to like, oh man, like almost the Reformation. Oh, wow. Like it went on forever. Long time. You go to Portugal, the south of Portugal, you, you go to the south of Spain, and you go to those cities in the south, and they have is Muslim influence in their architecture all over. Yeah. All over. Yeah. Um, and um, anyway, so King Alfonso is fighting the Muslims in the Iberian Peninsula, and he was a warrior king. He loved the Templars. He tried to start his own orders. He started two of them. They didn't really take. Um, but he started his own, like, Knights Templar. It didn't really happen. But he, like, slept on his shield. Um, and he decided that... It's got to be a big shield. Because yeah. if it's small, mm -hmm. I mean, like, the comfort, comfort level is just not comfort. so low. But as the king, he was such... He, he was dedicated so much to the warrior cause that he thought that the company of women would make him soft, which presented a problem for the kingdom. For having an heir. He didn't have any kids. Yeah, there yeah. Is. yeah. So no kids. And he was a bit of a, like, bombastic dude. And when he died... Uh, much to the chagrin of his advisors, he left the entire kingdom of Castile to the Templars. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is a problem. That is a problem. And all the bros yeah. and the Templars were like, yeah! This is yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, let's, let's be careful. I don't think the Templars were, were yet bros. They were true believers in life of poverty at this point. Okay. So then they will be bros a, later. So then is this a problem for them? This is they... a problem for them because A, they just inherited a giant pool of wealth. Well, they're supposed to be but poor. But B, yep. they are also not... They're not rulers. Oh, like sure. yeah. it's supposed to be the divine right of kings. It's supposed to be that you know these rule like the, the kingdoms were to be um, chosen by God through the lineage of the kids and and so this was a huge problem and also just a logistical problem right. because how to manage yeah, this, yeah how do you manage this huge kingdom with forty dudes or whatever yeah. it was and so all the and then all the advisors in Castile when their king Alfonso was dead were like. Uh -oh. We don't want these foreign guys running our country yeah. or running our kingdom. Um, so the Pope and the order had to make a kind of a decision. And so they made a decision um, and uh, um, to tie a bow on the story of King Alfonso. So what happened was they got King Alfonso's brother and they're like, all right, King Alfonso's brother, you're going to be king. King Alfonso's brother did not want to be king. He was okay. a monk. Who had, who had taken a vow of poverty and Sounds chastity. Sounds like a perfect choice. Yeah, exactly. They made him recant his vows oh of poverty God. and chastity. They forced him to marry this girl. 
And as soon as they had a kid, the Alfonso abdicated, or Alfonso's brother abdicated, made that king, kid king and went back, <laughs> back to, to the, the monastery. monastery. Yeah. yeah. Sure. The kid was a daughter. What a dude. Yeah. The kid was a daughter. So the daughter became queen of Castile and she ended up marrying somebody and then it merged the kingdom. So that's huh. how that story ended. Okay. The Templars did not end up ruling the kingdom. Oh. Although they kind of kept the paper that said they did, which is going to be a problem later. Yeah. Um, but what they did was they negotiated all the sweetest castles. Oh, great. So which they is said, what they wanted yes, instead. they said, yeah. we'll take all the sweetest castles. We'll set up our, uh, uh, an order. Or we'll set up a wing of our troops of our knights there, and we will fight the Muslims in the south of, of Spain. Help take care of that peninsula. Yeah, right, we'll right. take care which of that peninsula. Which isn't a horrible deal. Which isn't yeah. a horrible deal. And then they, and then because the, the, everyone was like, Oh man, we we can't really force them to give up the crown, so we'll we'll like, you know, we'll kind of ask them to give up the crown, and then the uh, the Knights Templar um, uh, had one more ask for this to happen, and the Pope granted it, and it was that they never had to pay tithes in the in the entirety of their whole order. They didn't have to give any money to the to the Catholic Church, mm. and they had the same. Uh, rights to collect tithes, tithes from the people in where they existed, from the local populace themselves. Oh no, that's crazy. Yeah, and it was accepted, and they said yes, this is a great idea. No. And then, so that was the one thing that they wanted. They didn't have to pay tithes to the church, and they wanted to collect, keep the tithes for themselves. This is unfortunate. Yeah, this is going to be the death blow for the Templars in two hundred years. I like, get not paying yeah. taxes, but then wanting to pull taxes from everybody around yeah. you seems like a step. But the reason why they 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 said to you know everyone sort of agreed was like, hey, these are the guys that we are sanctioning to fight in the Levant. We're going to be sending the money. We're going to be sending them money anyway right. through the church. We might as well just cut out the middleman and let them do it themselves. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and then uh, and then the second thing that they wanted to do was. They wanted to have the men who had taken vows in the order, so all of the brothers of the order, they wanted to be able to offer confession and absolution within the order as opposed to in the church. Instead of hiring a priest, they can just do it. Instead of going to a priest to confess their sins, they wanted to be able to confess their sins to their superiors in the order. It's like buying a nice espresso maker, so you don't have to go to Starbucks. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, sure. And so, okay. and then the, the, the Pope agreed to that, and right. they did. And this is going to be a problem also later a problem, on, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. They're basically becoming their own church. They yeah, essentially yeah, yeah. were carving out a mini version of the Catholic Church within the Catholic Church that was bent on Warfare. M- warfare. Yeah. This isn't going to breed any resentment on this, no. yeah. I don't yes. think. So this is... Well. Um, this will go really well. But at the time, everyone thought this was a great idea. Right. Uh, later on, no one thought it was a great idea. But, well, not the Templars did. Right. Uh, but at the time, everyone thought it was like, yeah, this makes sense. Um, let's do this. And so um, you didn't... So they didn't have to be ordained. So you could basically confess to somebody who wasn't ordained in the church. They were just... They had taken vows to be a Templar, as long as they were your superior. Um, and so... By, so the, the, they were founded in 1119. Okay. This is when the bunch of the bros were like, hey, we should protect the pilgrims. By 1140, they were the most famous order in all of Christendom. Wow. And people who were dying and giving them lands and castles and estates by like the bowlful. They had huge tracts of land in France, enormous, this enormous tract of land in Spain, huge tracts of land and castles in England, uh, in Germany, yeah, not so much in Italy. Um, they had the whole island of Cyprus. They had huge parts of Sicily. And then they 
controlled um, the castles in those major cities in in the Middle East. Um, you know, Acre being the the sort of the um, the big one, um, Beirut, Tripoli, Sidon. Somehow they lose Acre eventually. I can't remember because Richard the Richard the First takes it back over. How's that vow um, of poverty working out? Yeah, and the vow of poverty <laughs> is not Forgotten. well. Right. I mean, they sort of say like, "Well, we're not buying fancy things. We're still wearing our like they 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 eschewed having fancy fancy armor, and they just wore like basic armor and a white huh. um, a white smock. And eventually, someone drew a big red cross on it, and that's where they got that." But they just sort of wore this white smock and not very flashy armor. And they're like, see, we're poor. Um, but they had enormous, enormous, enormous tracts of land. And they ended up becoming um, a uh, decentralized uh, ledger of finance in the Middle, huh. world, Middle East, which is going to be really interesting. We'll talk about that next podcast. They're like the first Bitcoin. I wasn't sure if you were going to say they're a bank, but no, they don't have their own currency, do they? No, but what they could do was um, any letter that was signed off by a Templar in one city was was going to be honored by a Templar in another city. Wow. So you could give a Templar a pound of gold in Tripoli and then sail all the way to Toulouse mm-hmm. with a letter, yeah. and then you could go and you can get that pound of gold back. That's crazy. Yep. Okay. So that's they. So huh. they basically became, and then they would give. You know, they take a little bit off the top mm-hmm. for their services. Of course they would. Yeah. Uh, I think, Poverty. or maybe they didn't even. Anyway, but um, um, but so <laughs> the first Robin Hood, if they didn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk more about yeah. They so just invested the gold while they mm-hmm, had it while I'm you saying. were sailing. Yeah, the and float. Then, yes, yes. Would return exactly. the gold yeah. and keep the proceeds yeah. from the. So yeah, already you can see seeds of trouble in the future. You've got you know uh, all of this money. You've got a something within the Christian world that is wholly dedicated to violence and warfare. Um, And you had them completely cordoned and sectioned off from any kind of outside regulatory bodies in the church. Um, So the Templars only lasted for like 250 years. That's short. Yeah. I always thought they were a much longer thing. And meanwhile, the hospitalers are still going. No, they're not a military order anymore, as far as I know. Do the hospitalers bank? Can I go do the banking? <laughs> I don't, I don't, bank, they, they never really banked. The Templars did the banking. Um, but anyway, um, so, yeah, I just, uh, this happens a lot. And the, some of the, the sort of the, the things that I find interesting about the early story of the Templars is there's something about an organization saying we are going to Eschew poverty. We're going to shoe riches and take a vow of poverty, and we have this mission. Now, in this case, the mission is the conquering of the Holy Land, which I don't think is uh, Christians have any business. Well, before doing. that, it was just protecting the pilgrims, right? Yeah, which was I think was a good mission. Sure. But then it, it evolved into we the best best way to protect the pilgrims is to kill all of the pilgrims' enemies, <laughs> right? That's not. Hmm. Um, but there is something about like orders that take vows of poverty that, for whatever reason, attract donations. Why do why is that? Why do people say like, oh man, those guys are doing good work. I want to give my money to them. Because it still costs money. To, so uh, the Gethsemane Abbey in Trappist, Kentucky still has costs. They have to mm-hmm. they have people that work the land. So not only the monks, but also people that they hire. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that they need that they can't grow there themselves. Like there's a monetary need. I don't know how the state. We need to tap into that uh, that. <laughs> you yeah. Uh, if you think we're doing good work, send that money. Yeah, we're yeah. not. We're not reconquering the Holy Land. That's that's it's not called GoFundMe, man. Yeah. It's got a GoFundMe yeah. page yeah. anytime you want. That's the truth. You need, you need oh, Patreon. Patreon. Yeah, GoFundMe, man. Go fund me. Anyway, 
Um, but then anyway, I, I just, I've always sort of found it ironic that throughout, in the history of the Western church, mm-hmm. you have these movements of organized orders around poverty and good works. And those orders are almost always swamped. By money? <laughs> by money, and then undone by money. Sure. And that just to me is like incredibly sad. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean, you see it in Protestant churches now too, right? Like, you, you of course, you see it. You, you that see, attract too much money. Yeah, and these the mega downfall. churches that yeah. that you know are, are you know we're doing God's work of preaching the gospel and then are just like, swamped with cash and don't know what to do with it and build like a <laughs> million dollar you know like uh, a facility for Sunday school. Yacht yeah. church. Yeah, yeah yacht that. church. <laughs> Anyway, it's just, I've always just found that kind of the troubling aspect of these stories. It always kind of goes that way. Um, And also, um, there's just also something about the, uh, something attractive about that ordered life. Like, there are secular versions of that ordered life now, um, of just sort of having a life that's built on principles, having a rule that one follows. Right. And um, you can go find whole Reddit th- Reddit threads of people. Um, I even found one that was called Monk Life. Now it had nothing to do with with <laughs> um, religious order, but right. he was like, uh, you know, it was like uh, meditation, kettlebells, and keto. Hashtag <laughs> Monk Life, right? Like, Great. but there's just something about um, about having that sort of structure that lots of people find appealing. Sure. And there's also something about it appealing for. Um, for men as well. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen with, with women, but there is something about this, this ordered life done together that you see throughout history being very appealing to groups of, to groups of dudes. Sure. I don't really, mm-hmm. I don't have an account. I don't have an account for that. I don't know why it is. Um, no. I don't, I, yeah. I, I, I can't speak to a reason for it. I agree with you. That's the story of the monasteries also. Mm-hmm. It's fundamentally friendship that mm-hmm. built those monasteries. It does make me happy that um, in the history of, of the church, um, the order that was centered around warfare and violence doesn't survive beyond its, right. its um, doesn't, you know, doesn't survive 200 years, whereas you have monasteries that are still going, still going. that are focused on poverty the and Franciscans prayer. Franciscans are still rocking. Exactly. In and- so I think there, that's something to be said as well. Yeah. Um, but wrestling with the, the Crusades... Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't think any, I don't think any modern believer can look at that with any amount of like saying that was a great idea. Right. So what happened on Friday the thirteenth? Tell me how they tell me how they ended. Oh man, that's the next podcast. Okay. Oh, um, you're, we're doing two on these guys. Yeah, we're doing two. No, on these. Oh gosh, we haven't even talked about Richard the First. We haven't even got to Saracens. Right. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, oh, that hey. that changes everything oh, about yeah. all my questions. No, no. Can I? Uh, um, By uh, all means. Sorry. The, um, you referenced this on your last episode, which I re- I forget how ever many that is ago. I, I just wonder, is this actually a gendered thing to say that it's only men who like that ordered life? Weren't you saying there's some rapid rise in? Yeah, no, you're right. There up. is, there is, a, yeah, no, you're true. It's so right. There, there is a, a rapid, like, yeah. Apparently, millennial nuns is a huge, uh, growing um, section right now. Yeah, so I just wonder, is this more? I follow like twelve millennial nuns on Twitter. Do you really? Oh, they That's are they, like the holiest. Yeah, yeah. And then you go on Twitter and it's just garbage. And then <laughs> you, it's just so, and then there's this nun and she like takes a selfie of her and she's like, I've been here praying for two hours and praying for the life of Christians. And you're just like, oh my word, this is, this is really Isn't that weird to take a selfie and anyway. I don't think so. Okay. Is it? 
Nuns? I don't know. I don't know enough about nuns. So weird to me. On the whole, you know, don't don't pray in the marketplace, right? What are you talking about? You can't take a selfie. You can't take your good works before men, right? Yeah, whatever. All right. Well, sorry, Twitter nun. I was gonna say. Uh, Maybe I'm making it. I don't know. Don't at us. I don't whatever. Is that no. what the young kids say these days? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think you, Thomas, you're exactly right. So, um, but um, That's why, yeah, I'm wondering, is this more, uh, you know, feeling unmoored by a disconnection from uh, traditions or mm-hmm. history or our past? Or is this actually um, a male problem specifically? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if it's a oh, man. I feel like anything I say can skew sexist really easy. Okay. Not that I'm a sexist, but oh man, I'm already like in hot water. I'm going to sex- stop now. That's like, what a sexist a, would say. Yeah, well, seriously. Yeah. You're, digging, you're, you're digging a hole right there. Yeah. I'm already digging a hole. But now, I want to hear what I you think say. The, the way to view the Templars is they took the forms and patterns and structures of the religious life and turned its focus to the secular here and now, to the, the political problems of the day. And tried to shoehorn the religious life into the political, secular problems of the day. And, they, and people were really jazzed about it. Right. And thought, we were like, oh, this is a brand new thing. This is the new expression of Christianity that's right. going to, that's going to sort of move the ball forward. Not only are we going to have our souls taken care of, but we're going to have the world taken care of too. Right. And it burns out in 200 years. Um, uh, and it, it, it collapses under the weight of its own excess and violence. This is essentially what ends up happening. Sure. Doesn't it, it feels it feels kind of funny to say that 200 years is a short period of time. Yeah, but for but for uh, but for an idea, I think it is. Maybe. I guess in the context of a church that's 2,000 years old. Yeah. That. Um, but then uh, I don't know. See, so I, I just I get sensitive to to. Uh, um, People, people saying like, oh, we can take the form of the religious and put it into the secular and we're going to get um, really motivated people. And it's true, but but I think, you know, um, I can't think of a good analogy. There's one, there's there's an idea percolating, but I don't have enough to, to bring it, it out. But it did work for the Templars, right? Like it... For a bit. I get, yeah, I guess if you consider, anyway. It worked in recruiting people, mm-hmm. but there's something deeper that was its eventual undoing. I don't know. It, it worked for four generations, yeah. right? But, Essentially, five but generations. That, but still, that approach to an ordered life is the monastic life, mm-hmm. and that's outlived that Templar order. For sure. So that's, I don't know. Maybe there's something appealing in that, probably to a certain type of person. But um, Like, AJ, you would be bored out of your mind if you did the same thing every day, right? Yeah. Uh, to an extent, I, I don't know. I, I crave novelty. Right. And, that's what, yeah. But novelty can be found. It doesn't necessarily mean variance from routine. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's exactly what it means. Uh, <laughs> what I mean is that you can find novelty even within routine. Like sure. if, every morning I could read a different book. Does that make sense? Sure. I can find that novelty even within the routine of a monastic order. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about the first, this first one of the Templars, just their establishment, who they are, the, the world that they're entering into, and also that this is a, a wing of, of Christendom that is, I think, one that we shouldn't lionize and mm-hmm. one that we shouldn't um, um, sort of hold up as, uh, a, 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 as something to revel in. I think there's also a... Um, uh, a dark section of the internet nowadays uh, that is anti-Islam that that 
longs for some sort of of return to a militarized Christianity that will have some sort of war, and that is, I think, uh, yeah. d- you know, um, on uh, that is outside the bounds of, of orthodoxy. As doesn't far as sound I'm like a good idea. No, no. and no. it wasn't a good idea when it happened. Right. Um, even though it, you know, took root and and captured hearts and minds for, like I said, f- sure, uh, five sure. generations. Yeah. Um, at some point, it was still it was it, it, it was still kicked out. Whereas the hospitalers had their founding principle on helping as opposed to conquering. Anyway, even though they did fight. So that's the Templars. That's uh, we'll, we'll, well, Templars part one, right? Templars part I want one. to hear more about these guys. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to their sort of their glories and then their agonies in the next podcast for okay. sure. Rock and roll. Great. Sounds good to me. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you specifically, Graham. <laughs> and this has been Classical Stuff. As you know, you can check out our website, classicalstuff.net. And we have all of our back episodes there. If you're craving episodes one through, I think, probably nine-ish now. Sure. All of our old episodes are up on the website. You can find them there, along with pictures of our ugly mugs. <laughs> yep. And I'm, I do mean ugly mugs. We're selling drinkware. Yes. Oh, I'm just kidding. It's our, our faces. And you can tweet at us at C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff mm-hmm. at the Twitter. And you can email us classical stuff at veritasacademy.net. Those are the places you can find us. We would love to hear from you. And if you want to send us memes or more additions to classical stuff bingo we would love that and we'd love to hear from you we always try to answer all the emails we get sometimes it takes us a month or two but we'll try to get there if we can cool. so thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time bye bye see you later.